One of my favorite ways to unwind is by playing a game on my phone while I relax on the couch. And June's Journey is my new favorite as it combines several of my favorite things, finding hidden items, decor and design, and solving a murder. In June's Journey, you dive into June's captivating quest to uncover a scandalous hidden family secret while discovering the truth behind the unexplained death of her sister. As you uncover clues, you also get to build your own island estate with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. You get to collect scraps of information to fill your photo album and learn more about each character. You get to chat and play with or against other players by joining a detective club. You'll even get the chance to play in a detective league to put your skills to the test. So can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, the world. This is They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I'm Sadie Eck. And I am Courtney Eck. And we are here to talk to you today about some murder. That's exactly what we're here to do. I'm excited. I feel like it's been a while since we recorded, even though it hasn't. I know, it really does feel like that. I think it's because we do every other is a Patreon episode, and when it's a real episode, I think it feels like we're coming home or something. (laughs) (laughs) I also think that for me right now, time is moving very slowly yeah my friend put it really well recently they said that time suddenly feels unpredictable which is exactly what time feels like right now very unpredictable yep so well you know what's not unpredictable the fact that this story is gonna bum you the fuck out (laughs) i was thinking no murder is actually pretty predictable unfortunately it usually only ends one way which is sad yeah and this one is the one of the biggest bummers of all time and i've thought about doing this case for centuries but hadn't picked it because it's been it's been it's been done a handful of times and it's really a bummer but i was really excited that one of our listeners chose it when they won our mini sweepstakes to choose an episode. And so, yep, I was very happy that she chose it. And I'm really excited to tell the story today. So thank you, Manic Pixie Panic, for choosing the truly, truly, truly awful murder of James Bulger. Mm -hmm. Major trigger warning, guys. This is the triggeriest of trigger warnings for child abuse and murder. Uh, you'll know when we're getting to the to the heart of it, and I did back off of the details quite a bit because I nobody wants to hear about the details of a child being tortured and murdered. But if this is not something you're interested in hearing about at all, this is not the case for you. Mm-hmm. So James Patrick Bolger was born on March 16, 1990, and at the time our story takes place, he was just shy of his third birthday. He lived in Liverpool with his mother Denise and father Ralph, 
and was described as the loveliest little boy. He was super friendly, social, sweet, and just the right amount of naughty. On February 12, 1993, James went with his mother and her friend to an indoor shopping center to run some errands. They wandered around the mall, did some shopping, and at around 3.40 p.m., Denise and James went to the butcher shop to pick up some meat. Denise chose the cuts of meat she needed, and chillingly, in the time it took for her to release James's hand, find her wallet, and pay the butcher for the meat, James disappeared from her side. Ugh, no. Worst, worst, worst case scenario. She, of course, immediately searched the store, then the area around the store, and then flew into a panic when she realized James was nowhere to be found. She alerted the shopping center security who put out a routine announcement that a little boy went missing and that he should be returned to his mother if someone found him. Sadie went missing when I was, I think it was like my eighth birthday at the state fair. Yeah, I was five. It, I, yeah. This is one of the clearest, and you were gone for a little while, like 15 yeah. minutes, 20 minutes, long enough to be, for it to be absolutely terrifying. And I remember being really pissed that you were ruining my birthday, and that is the most <laughs> Leo thought that I've ever had in my entire life. <laughs> It's yep. fucking terrifying. Yeah. I just wandered off, too. Like, nothing terrible happened. Like no. That. Yeah. And you knew to go talk to the security guard and everything was fine. I lost my oldest once at the Children's Museum here <sighs> in Indianapolis, which is huge. Huge. Biggest in the and world. he went into a maze, and I thought that I could just follow him. He went in one way, and I went in the oh. other way, and I was like, oh, I'll find him. And he got out somehow, and I couldn't get out. And find him, and it was like two or three minutes before I found him, and it was the worst three minutes of my motherhood for fucking sure. Yeah, no, like dizzy with fear immediately. Yeah, I don't, no, I can't imagine. So, Denise wandered the shopping center with other staff members and waited for any sign of James or any news that someone had spotted him, but there wasn't a trace of the three year old anywhere. They decided to elevate the search and contacted the police to help find the toddler. Police arrived and conducted their own sweep of the mall, and then quickly expanded their search to the surrounding area, concerned that he could have wandered onto the very busy road next to the center. There were also several canals and industrial areas nearby where he could have fallen or gotten injured, and police and volunteers exhaustively searched these areas as well, aware that the more time passed, the less likely they were to find James alive. Denise and her family made their way to the police station to answer questions and give any information they could think of to aid in the search, and 24 hours passed without any sign of James at all. Their hearts sank as the possibility of an abduction became more and more real, and the search continued. At this point, the investigation got its first break after the shopping center reviewed their CCTV footage. The footage revealed a toddler being led away from the center by two boys holding his hand. It's so chilling. Mm. Hmm. The quality of the footage was very poor, but Denise was still able to identify that the toddler was indeed James based on the outfit he'd been wearing at the time of his disappearance. Denise was comforted by the sight of her son and was baffled by the fact that two young people had taken him, but thought that it was a good sign that she'd get him back safely as he hadn't been abducted by a grown person with terrible intentions. She wondered if they'd been playing some kind of game and had gotten lost and would return him once his abduction was on the news. Denise made a tearful plea on the news for whoever had taken her boy to bring him home, 
hoping the boys or their parents would see it and return James quickly and safely. I mean, I would feel the same. I'd be like, yeah. oh, awesome. That's weird, but thank God. Right. Because you know? no way would children kill children. Right. Like he wandered away, got distracted by something, these teenagers found him, and he's fine. Right. Unfortunately, no one came forward with James and no new leads surfaced, so the police began the daunting task of narrowing down which local boys between the ages of 10 and 18 could have been his abductors. They started with boys around the age of 14, as the boys in the footage looked like they were in their early teens, and they looked through juvenile records to see if there were any offenders that stood out. Unfortunately, the area James was taken in had a high level of juvenile crime, and so the search would be more daunting than they hoped. I was like, all my favorite like rock and roll docudramas happen in Liverpool. Yes, <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. You know, I just think of like uh-huh. Joy Division and the Beatles yeah. and all. <laughs> this is like cheeky kids being in trouble, uh-huh. but also brilliant. Yeah. You know. <laughs> While police began to dig through the mountain of local boys who could have carried out the abduction, the worst possible news came through. Two days after James disappeared, children who were playing on a railway embankment stumbled across the body of a deceased young boy, and it was quickly determined that the body belonged to James Bulger. Poor James. No. The location his body was found was around three miles from the shopping center where he was last seen by his mother. It also would have required him climbing up a railway bridge that was close to a police station. Everyone was shocked and dismayed by the discovery, and even more disturbed that they were now hunting for two young boys as murder suspects instead of just potentially harmless abductors. Media from around the world suddenly descended on Liverpool as local authorities carried out their awful investigation. Everyone came together to try to solve James's unbelievable murder, including magazines who offered their services to help clear up the footage to determine who'd taken him from the shopping mall. Police decided to release the details of the last moments that James was seen alive in an attempt to get people to come forward with information about who could have taken him and why. They interviewed 60 boys between the ages of 14 to 18, but got no helpful information. On a quick and horrible side note, one of the boys that they questioned, who was actually innocent, had to leave Liverpool with his family because the community thought he was guilty and started threatening and harassing him so severely. Yes. Yes. This is a case where, not that anybody ever wins in a murder case, but this is a... Everybody loses in this story. Yeah. After a few days with no new leads, a woman contacted police, having just seen the CCTV footage on the news. She recognized one of the boys in the footage and also had knowledge that he'd skipped school with one of his friends on the day James disappeared. Considering there were two boys on the footage leading James away from the mall, police immediately sprung into action to follow up on the lead. The police were surprised to learn that the boys they were following up on as James's potential abductors and killers were both just 10 years old. So young. So they didn't think there was any real possibility that the boys that young could be responsible for such a heinous crime, but followed up on the tip just to rule them out. Good. The woman caller had identified the first boy as John Venables, so one team of officers started by questioning him at his home, while another team headed to the home of his 10-year-old friend, Robert Thompson. 
When police began questioning Robert, he started to visibly panic, and police told him he was under arrest for James's murder, and they'd need to take him in for questioning. At this point, Robert started crying what the officer referred to as crocodile tears, not the real tears of a scared young boy. Ten years old. Nope. And I knew about this story, but I, in my mind, these boys were like 12 and 13. And then yeah. when I read 10 years old, my Ten. face exploded. Yeah. It's so little. It's yes. so little. <laughs> like, yes. how can you even be traumatized enough at 10? You know what I mean? To be right. that evil. So both Robert and John were taken into separate police stations for questioning and we'll post photos of the boys' mugshots, but it's truly shocking to see such tiny boys under arrest. John in particular looks much younger than his 10 years, and despite his beautiful young face, there is something very off in his eyes in the mugshot. It's truly the shit of my nightmares. Whoa. They're so little. It's, I mean, they're so, they're like little elvish, little baby boys. It's so weird. So who are these cherubic monsters? <laughs> So Robert Thompson was one of seven boys, and it's reported that his father beat his mother. His father also started an affair with a woman he met on vacation with the entire family and made no attempt whatsoever to hide his indiscretions from his wife or children, even telling them that if they complained about it, he'd simply leave them. Wow. I know. On vacation? Well, he met her on vacation, and then they started an affair that he carried on, and everybody okay. knew about it, all the boys. Mm -hmm. Fun. And the wife, and he was like, "Tough shit, deal with it." Wow, yes, good guy there. Yeah, it makes people. It makes you feel really good, really good <laughs> when your dad's just like, "I do what I want. I don't care." Mm -hmm. He spent most of his time getting drunk at the bar or with the other woman, and so as you can imagine, young Robert was lacking adequate parental love or support from his father, who did eventually leave all of them for the other woman. Wow, the seven boys never saw or heard from their father again with the exception of their grandmother's funeral, where he showed up but continued the silent treatment and refused to speak to or acknowledge any of his children. Ugh, that's gonna, that's good for, that's good for children. That's really good for your psyche. If your dad just pretends you don't exist, it's awesome. You're like, mm -hmm. oh, I'm free. I didn't need that love anyway. I didn't need that guidance or yeah. m physiological development. It's no, fine. It's fine. Do you know where he was in the lineup of boys? I think he was he was toward the bottom. Yeah. He was one of the younger boys, yep. So Robert's mother coped by succumbing to alcoholism, and the seven boys were basically left to care for themselves. To top it all off, seven weeks after their father abandoned them, the entire family returned home from an outing to find their house had burnt down, forcing the eight of them to live in a hostel for two months, followed by moving into a tiny apartment not suited for all of them. This only increased their mother's drinking to the point that she drank until she fell asleep every night and then again as soon as she woke up every morning, so her young boys were completely uncared for and unsupervised. All of the boys began acting out to the point that social workers were being called to the home on a regular basis. Nothing changed in the home and their bad behavior increased, including bullying each other, specifically the older boys picking on the younger boys in the family. They would tie them up, lock them in the shed, and threaten them with knives. <laughs> it's just so spooky, too. I know how boy brothers are, and that many boys unsupervised and angry and hurting. Right. It's just like, it I can't even, 
Lord of the Flies. Exactly. I can't yeah. imagine what kind of like crazy abuse was going no, on. No, I leave my two boys in the bathtub for one minute to get a towel and I come back and it's like, you know, like drowning situations. Yeah, it's like total <laughs> totally. chaos. Well, you and I, I mean, we beat the absolute <laughs> yes, living shit out of each other. Yeah, we really did. I was watching a Evil Lives Here episode today and this this brother was talking about his brother who ended up being a killer and how they would play a game where they would pile all the blankets and pillows on top of each other and then the brother would whip them with a belt through the blankets and pillows oh but but it didn't hurt you know because there was blankets right. and pillows but then he would always find like a little opening but i was like <laughs> yeah i used to pile all the couch cushions on top of you and then lay on top of them to the point you couldn't breathe like yeah. that's sadistic shit that older siblings do to younger siblings yeah no i vividly remember once you doing that to me and our father was sitting in a chair like two feet away from me and i couldn't breathe and i was like pleading with my eyes and he was like eventually i think he was like get off your sister but i was i really thought i was gonna suffocate him. yeah yes and i'm like a relatively good person despite the fact that i'm a leo who was just pissed at you for ruining my birthday when you got abducted when you didn't get abducted oh god so yeah, seven boys with a abusive, ab- abandoning father and an alcoholic, uh, unavailable mother. Shit's going to get real fucking weird. Yep. It's reported that the older boys would even bully the younger boys into staying home from school. And one year, Robert missed 49 out of 140 days he was supposed to attend. Holy cow. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. This was like the 80s late 80s 90s right early 90s yeah 1990s yeah so still kind of oh my god my stomach. <laughs> well, i hear it <laughs> uh, so still kind of the wild west but far enough along in history that people should have known better and should have done something for this fucking kids well especially at age you know whatever he was nine yeah eight, nine, nine eight nine yeah he was little like, no eight-year-old or nine-year-old should be missing 49 days of school. No. Like that's not, unless no. they're seriously ill and then they need help and... Yeah. Yeah. And multiple calls from social workers out to the home. And they're like, oh, yes. nope. hopefully this gets better. Yes. Spoiler alert, it doesn't. He fell behind in his learning and as a result was held back a grade. Robert spent some of the days he skipped school shoplifting often focusing on items his family needed to get by or toys for he and his younger brother as they were too poor and his mother couldn't afford to buy them very much. Chaos at the Thompson home escalated over time and on one occasion it's reported that Robert's mother hit one of the children who proceeded to call social services and ask to be taken away, which they obliged and took he and two other boys out of the home. The two other boys are reported to have attempted suicide later in their lives. And also, how do you pick, like, pick and choose? Right? <laughs> like, these like, three should yeah. come with me, but the rest of you should stay. Yeah, you four, I don't know, you're a lost cause, but I'm going to save these three. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. In 1993, one of Robert's younger brothers was found wandering alone near the shopping mall where James Bulger was later abducted. He was scared and crying, and when asked what happened, he said that Robert and a friend had lured him to the mall, kicked him, and left him to fend for himself. So all in all, Robert and his family were not the poster children for brotherly love. Mm -hmm. It was pretty bad. Yeah. So John Venables 
was the middle of three children with an older sister and younger brother, both of whom had severe learning disabilities. John didn't have any of the same disabilities, but he did mimic his siblings' behavior at times, um, my guess is in an attempt to get attention. Yeah. His family was very traditional, and his father believed it was the woman's place to stay at home with the children while he went to work to earn a living. John's mother was a little overwhelmed by the task of caring full-time for three children, two with special needs, and while she claimed she tried to give them all equal attention, it's easy to speculate that John was overlooked at times. To top it all off, John's grandfather died when he was one, and so his mother moved herself and her children in with the grandmother to give her the extra care she needed without her spouse to help. For whatever reason, John's father chose to live separately, even though they stayed married, and the move didn't go well for John. He was terribly bullied in his new neighborhood, and kids were known to shout at him, throw things at him, and make fun of his siblings. John was very distraught over the bullying, cried all the time, and was unable to focus on his schoolwork and other important tasks, so also fell behind. He also began acting out in class, rocking back and forth and moaning, throwing items off of his desk, and occasionally banging his head against his desk. When the disruptions got to the point that they were interfering with the other students' learning, his mother was called in and she reported she was having the exact same issues with him at home and was at her wit's end. She said he was often abusive toward her and expressed regularly that he didn't want to attend his school anymore and would rather be at school with his siblings. They wondered if maybe his acting out was an attempt to get pulled from his mainstream schooling and placed with his siblings in their school for children who needed more special attention. He knew that the kids at the other school were all very different and seemed more tolerated, so it was his theory that the bullying would stop if he was able to go to school there. The school and his mother were unable to curb his outbursts, and instead they got worse, escalating to him harming himself with scissors, hiding under tables, and pulling classroom displays off of the wall. Wow. He wasn't allowed to go on any special school outings because of the threat of him acting out was too great. Eventually, John attempted to strangle another boy with a ruler, and it took two teachers to remove him from the other boy, which resulted in a two-day suspension. Mm. Wow. I know. It makes me think of all the kids that we knew at that yeah. age who were acting out. And yes. how you knew at the time that there was something really wrong, but yes. you just were like, well, they're just bad. They're right. just bad kids. Right. And everyone's and afraid how, of them. Yeah. And how the teachers w would treat them like bad kids. Right. Rather than kids that really, really needed help. Really needed help. And it's like looking back, how do people not know that these kids need special love, not punishment? It's just really hard to wrap my mind around. <laughs> <laughs> so hungry. Do you need a snack? I need a snack. <laughs> so his mother made the strange choice to then withhold him from school for an additional 10 weeks. And when she was ready to re-enroll him, he'd missed so much class he was forced to enroll in a new school. Ugh, I'm making, I'm realizing I'm over here making all these faces that nobody can see Yeah. in reaction. Just like, ugh, I know ee. I do that a lot when you're telling stories. Just yeah. like, it's mostly clenchy teeth emoji. That's my yes. big one. It's like, oh yes. God, oh God. Well, I, I just, ugh. it's like all these thoughts going through my head of please, can we help these boys right now? Even though I the know. story's already done, but can I we know. stop and try to get them help? Oh. and 
how do I make sure my children don't end up like this? I know. And it's like the train is already out of the station. It's rolling down the tracks and you're like, somebody pull the emergency brake. Yes. Yep. So he had to start the previous grade over because of his absences. And this is how he found himself being classmates with Robert Thompson. Since the two boys were older than the other students and were experiencing similar struggles, they became fast friends, despite John's initial assessment that Robert was, quote, trouble. Robert was indeed trouble, and he taught his new friend how to skip school and to steal, and John took to his life of juvenile crime nicely. It's now known that both of their mothers had issue with alcohol and attempted suicide, not to mention their father's mutual absences, so the boys had plenty to bond over. So when the boys were questioned, Robert immediately blamed everything on John, saying everything was his idea and he'd been the one to snatch James from the mall. Robert claimed he'd gotten emotional and begged John to take the baby back to his mother. Here's audio of the actual interview so you can hear what a tiny boy we're actually dealing with in this case. He said that the two of you were in the strand and that you saw the little boy? We never. We never. Is that the God's honest truth? God's honest truth. I'm, I'm telling you that we never. He was too scared. He was probably too scared. And he said that you took him by the hand and led him out of the strand shops. We never. He's a liar. Calm down. I can't. Oh, no, it's alright, it's alright, come on, it's alright, come on, alright. I never got the boy, I never killed someone. Yeah, we was, but we never saw any kids there. We never got any kids. <coughs> so you were in Bootle New Strand? Yeah, was you in Bootle Strand? We never, we never got a kid, Mum, we never, we never got Mrs. a kid. Mrs. Venables, would you, um, I must ask you not to get angry with it. A short while ago, as is detailed on your custody record out there. You had a conversation with your mum and you then requested that myself and Dave Tanner come into the room. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And what was it you told us? That I killed James. He's just a baby. No, just a tiny little baby. tiny baby. It's so eerie. He's like, yeah, the whisper, almost whispering in a high-pitched voice. And yeah, <laughs> so little, so young. So Robert's story constantly changed, and he got caught in lies, and police were barely able to get any helpful information out of him. He'd claimed they left the boy behind at one point, and the last time he saw him, he was still alive. They eventually got him to admit he'd been with John and James on the train tracks, but again blamed everything on John, saying all of the actions were the other boys' ideas. John, on the other hand, immediately started by lying to police, saying he hadn't been at the mall that day and in fact hadn't been in Liverpool at all. Police pressed on and told him that Robert had admitted that the two of them had been on the train tracks that day, and then his tune changed a bit. John then admitted that he had been at the mall, but that they hadn't taken any boys, and then started wailing and hugging the police officers and his mother for comfort and begging them to believe him. His only response to police questioning was, quote, we never. So if they asked, quote, did you take James Bulger, his response would have been, we never. 
He just said it over and over again, over and over, you know. So that night, John Venable's lawyer rewatched the CCTV footage from the mall and determined that the boys who were walking with James that day very closely resembled his client and Robert Thompson. He noted that the boy who looked the most like John was wearing a mustard-colored coat, and when he asked John what color his coat was the next day, he responded that it was mustard. No. Police carried on with their questioning, desperate to get a confession from the boys they were more and more sure had taken and murdered little James. And after two days of interrogation, John finally began to admit what had really gone on that day. Two days is a long time to hold out as a 10-year-old. Yes. I mean, Chris Watts only held out for like 35 minutes. Seriously. <laughs> you know I, I mean? would I would not commit a crime and it would take five minutes for me to confess to it. Yeah. Like for something I didn't do. I yes. break immediately. Absolutely. Yep. So he started by saying something along the lines of, quote, okay, I did kill the baby. I'm very sorry. Can you tell his mom I'm very sorry? <sighs> he admitted that he was responsible for some of the injuries inflicted on James that day. So Robert Thompson claimed that he and John took James from the mall and brought him out to the tracks where John proceeded to assault him, and then they went home, and that he, meaning Robert, didn't participate in the attack at all, and that he hadn't seen James die that day. John said the exact same thing about his friend Robert, that Robert had been the mastermind behind the awful plan, and that Robert had been responsible for throwing bricks at James. He said that he threw several bricks at James who fell over but kept getting back up and that he, quote, wouldn't stay down. Based on their questioning, they were able to piece together exactly what happened that day and concluded the following. Robert and John took James out of the shopping center and walked him three miles to the railroad track while James cried and asked for his mother and the boys began their assault as they walked. Well, and that's such a long way three miles is a very long way very long tragically the three boys passed around 38 people as they walked the three miles to the train tracks and when anyone did stop the boys to ask why james was bleeding and crying the boys claimed he was their younger brother and that he'd fallen down and they were taking him home to his mother to care for him when another woman asked if everything was okay They changed their story and said James was lost and they were trying to help him, that they didn't know him, and did she know how to get to the nearest police station. The woman gave them directions to the nearest station and then went on her merry way. No. uh, That is such an early 90s thing to do. (laughs) Yeah, they'll let the 10-year-olds take care of this lost child. This will be just fine. They seem very responsible. This crying, crying. hysterical, bleeding toddler in the care of these 7-year-olds. I mean, they don't even look 10. They look 7. This will work out just fine. You know that woman never slept again in her life. Or she did because she's so fucking stupid. (laughs) (laughs) I hope. I'm just going to give her the problem. Oh, God. I just can't even imagine. Not even in the 80s. So Robert and John had actually tried to abduct another little boy earlier in the day, but that child's mother had caught them in the act and stopped them. Thank God. Thank God. So their original plan was to abduct a young boy and then push him into traffic, but that plan didn't work with James for some reason. Like, how do you wake up in the morning and just decide that your plan is to go kill somebody as a 10-year-old? This whole thing. I'm going into a lot of details, but I have a lot of questions. 
Yes. Their next plan was to take him to the canal and drown him instead. Their plan to drown him also didn't work for some reason, but James did sustain a cut on his head as a result, which is what people were responding to as the boys walked to the train tracks. So they tried to drown him, didn't work, but he did get a big gash on his head and was bleeding. And so as they're walking three miles past 38 people, that's why he was bleeding. I hate this story. It's it's just never-ending crazy town. Strap in. So finally they made it to the tracks, which is where they proceeded to torture and eventually murder poor baby James. Here's a few details. Again, I didn't go into too much detail, but it's awful enough, even on the surface. So they put paint in his eye, threw bricks and stones and physically beat him, and eventually dropped an iron bar on his head. It's reported that his official cause of death was beating, but when the boys were done torturing him, they placed him on the train track, weighed his head down with stones, and he was eventually struck and cut in half. They do believe, though, that he died before he was hit by the train. Mm. Police also wonder if there was a sexual element to the crime, as James's shoes, socks, pants, and underwear had been removed, as well as other alleged sexual assault that they were never able to confirm. It does seem like it was likely. Both boys were arrested and charged with abduction, attempted abduction of the other boy, and murder. When the proceedings began, the identities of Robert and John were concealed due to their very young ages, and they referred to as Child A and Child B initially. Hundreds of people showed up to express their shock and outrage at what had happened to young James, and the courthouse was a total mob scene. At the boys' sentencing, people lined up overnight to try to secure one of the 44 seats available for the public to watch the trial, and over 500 people ended up at the courthouse that day. Wow. The boys were so small, they had to put a false floor in the area where the accused stood to make it high enough for the boys to be able to see over the railing. Wow. So the criminal age of responsibility is 10 years old in the UK, which feels remarkably young to me. Right. But if the boys had been just a little bit younger, they would have gotten off completely. Wow. Which is also so, a chilling thought. Do we know what the equivalent is here? 27. I have no idea. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a great question. I want to say, I don't know, because you can be tried as an adult at like 14 here or 13 even. Mm-hmm. So probably similar age. It just feels really young. Well, I'm just wondering, like, is that, do they mean that it's just the time where you can be, like, they're still juveniles. They're still juveniles, but that they and can they be tried for tried crime. Tried for a crime at right. all. If they had been younger, there there just would have been no... No trial. No, no, yeah, no imprisonment of any kind. Right. So during the trial, the events leading up to James's abduction were revealed, and in the morning... John Venerables had been on his way to pick up gerbils from the classroom as it was his turn to care for the class pets. So, <laughs> just like the fact that his he was on his way to pick up gerbils. It's like oh. the, the all these things coming together. It's just so unnatural and psychotic. Mm-hmm. On his way to school, he bumped into his best friend, Robert, and Robert persuaded John to join him in some shoplifting at the local mall. 
The boys made their way to the shopping center and shoplifted a few items, but soon got bored. It's reported that Robert then turned to John and said, quote, let's grab a kid. So in an ill-prepared attempt to entertain themselves, they tried to abduct one boy, which failed, and then successfully nabbed James, walked him around for hours, avoided suspicion from strangers, then tortured and murdered James. I find it hard to believe that it wasn't somehow premeditated, at least on Robert's part. Right. Especially considering he'd kind of done that to his younger sibling recently. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the same time, it is, you know, it is like one of those things where you're like, oh, we're bored. Let's go tip a cow or egg a house or something. But I, I, abduct I, a little I, boy. So specific. Without knowing more into his, like, psyche or... Yeah. You know, it'd be very interesting to hear from him now as an adult. Like... You will get a little bit more information. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit more about John, not Robert. There's nothing about Robert, but I do have a lot more information about John. But yes, it's also that empath, apath, uh, sociopath triangle thing where it seems like Robert really was psychotic to some degree. And John was just uh, having a real hard time, you know? Mm. So I think about too, like, you know, because what I my experience is my two children and their natural inclinations. Yep. You know, like I could see them doing definitely stupid shit right. and probably harmful things. And I could see them hurting each other sort of on purpose, kind of wanting to see what that is. Right. Like, you know, I can see all of that. And, yep. and if they had been abused and neglected and tortured themselves and like... Yep. I can I could understand how that could happen in some ways, but it, you know, like yeah. it's very that's just really over the top. Yeah, it comes uh, from a really specific a place. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And is that just an un- underdeveloped brain with abuse and trauma on top of it? Right. Is it his nature? Like, <laughs> I know. Well, it's like the case where that woman, where they, the kids threw rocks over the overpass and smashed the woman's head yes. in, you know, that whole thing. Yes. You know, something like that feels more naturally adolescent to me. Like, let's mm-hmm. just do this really stupid thing, not understanding how poor, how horribly we can harm somebody. But specifically, like, let's get a kid. Let's get a mm-hmm. little kid. Well, to just have hours to give up Make on a di- the yeah. plan like exactly yeah to, to rethink it to ask for help to let him go yeah and none does. of that happened no oh i don't know like yeah is it the because the two of them were together doing this and they didn't want to look like right you know wusses or whatever like, right like oh this is kind of funny yeah but it does Ugh. either way it's just it's awful. Disgusting. <laughs> yeah. But it does definitely feel like Robert probably had this idea and something he actually wanted to do mm-hmm. ahead of time, in my opinion. So speaking of which, it did come to light that Robert Thompson seemed to be the leader in the abduction and murder, but that it was John's idea to bring the baby onto the train tracks. John testified that James seemed to like him better and would let him pick him up and hold his hand, but didn't want to have anything to do with Robert. <sighs> I just can't, I can't imagine. No, no, no. So the trial lasted 17 days, and based on their confessions, as well as finding paint on their shoes that matched the paint found on James, and DNA matching the boys, 
They were both convicted of murder in the end, making them the UK's youngest ever convicted murderers. I think to this day, they're still the youngest ever oh, I'd murderers. I'd hope so. Like, let's end it there. No yeah. more 10-year-old murderers, please. <laughs> no, let's take it to the max. Any eight-year-olds, eight, eight year <laughs> six? Oh, please. So John broke down and cried when the verdict was announced, while Robert just glared at one of the convicting officers, but then feigned crying when he noticed John's outpouring of emotion. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, not, that's not normal. No. The judge decided to release the boys' names and school pictures to the public for some reason, Hmm. which was very controversial because the boys were so young and their families would no doubt be affected. He also ruled that no new information could be leaked about the boys as they grew up and that when they were finally released, they would be given new identities. So why? I don't know why he would do that. Right. Keep their identities quite like, no. Yeah. Keep it a secret. Don't release them, but then be like... Under no circumstance can you ever know anything about them moving forward, and then we're going to give them a new identity. That's so weird. It's bizarre. So their release wouldn't be that far off, as they were just sentenced to eight years apiece for the torture and murder of baby James. The entire UK lost their damn minds over the sentences, and the court actually then re-ruled that the boys would instead serve ten years apiece. Hmm. Then a UK newspaper started a petition to get the sentences increased even further, and it got over 280,000 signatures. Oh, wow. And guess what? It fucking worked. Wow, really? The boys' sentences were then increased to 15 years by the government, not the criminal justice system. So then this ruling (laughs) was challenged as government overreach, and the sentences were then dropped back down to 10 years. Wow. Isn't that bizarre? Mm-hmm. This whole case is so bizarre. I mean, I can under- I can understand the outrage and all, but like, yeah, it shouldn't be up to the general public. No, to, to decide. Sen- I mean, it no. should be up to you and I because we're very good at yes. sentencing people. But we're the DAs of the world and the universe. <laughs> but other than us, no, God, no. Uh, that is literally the court of public opinion yes (laughs) so how dangerous that is right no you can't just a newspaper can't be like sign my change.org and then (laughs) suddenly you're 20 years you know no 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 it's very dangerous very slippery slope as damaged as our system is sometimes it works and we just have to like stay the course you know make miniature adjustments here and there but not just like complete overhaul in sentencing no Right. So the boys were committed to separate juvenile centers for punishment with a focus on rehabilitation, and both boys began having symptoms of PTSD from the experience of murdering James, particularly John, who was having night terrors and severe flashbacks. Hmm. It's an interesting idea that PTSD, you can cause your own damn self yes. PTSD. Yes. Especially, I mean, it makes sense in the case of John based on my theory that Robert actually planned it and enjoyed it, and John was sort of along for the ride. Mm -hmm. I could definitely see after the fact being super traumatized, even though you participated. Mm -hmm. Just like the reality of what you participated Mm -hmm. in sinking in later and being really horrible thing to come to terms with. Yeah. They said that Robert did too, and I imagine that's probably true because he was too little to be committing murder. Right. Um, but maybe it was also just him trying to get sympathy. 
So the boys were heavily supervised so that they couldn't be hurt or hurt others. And they were very well educated, including one-on-one tutoring. And they even had TVs in their rooms with video games and movies. It's reported that Robert's room looked just like a normal little boy's room and not like a jail cell at all, including sports posters and a sports duvet on his bed. He also had his own PC computer. Officials estimated that it cost around $3,000 a week to pay for the boys' accommodations and education, which the government justifies as an investment in the safety of the community once the boys are released. Okay, and I agree with that, but let's do that before they murder somebody. Well, it's just so interesting. And what I mean, I have a little bit more to talk about, but it's reading this makes me really think about, you know, you and I have talked a lot about this lately. Like what? Yeah. Do you do it ahead of time? Do you do it after the fact? Like when do you intervene? How do you intervene? Is punishment appropriate? Is rehabilitate, you know, like, mm-hmm. And you'll hear they spend a tremendous amount of money on these boys, enormous amount of money. But it is, yeah, it's re- it's not proactive, it's retroactive. Right. Like, I, I think that they, I mean, they're 10. They were 10 when they did this. They deserve to be rehabilitated for sure. Right. But can we just offer children love and care and support and food and security? And, yes. you know, I know it's not that easy, but... If we're going to spend $3,000 a month, yeah. you said? A week. A week. A week. Oh, my God. Like, that's you know so much, much money. It's so and, much money. Like, it, you know, I think the mom with the seven boys and the no husband and the alcohol problem and, you know, it's yes. like. Yes. Give her $3,000 a yes. week. She could do a lot with 3000 She could do <laughs> so much with $3,000 a week. <laughs> you know, it's. uh yeah, I, my I, my heart's broken. And no, give her a hundred dollars a week. She could do a lot with a hundred dollars a week. Yes, you know, a hundred dollars a month, even for a lot of families, is in, in just a complete game changer. Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, you're like, oh, this boy who committed, who killed a baby. Let's give it all to him because he needs yeah. to get better. Because when he gets out, he's going to be super dangerous, which is true. But right, the damage is already done. Right, so. The boys were also frequently allowed to leave the facilities to go shopping, to attend sporting events, and spend time with their families. Robert was allowed out as soon as a year after his sentencing and was taken to the swimming pool and McDonald's once a month during his incarceration. So I also understand, you know, their justification was these kids are going to need to know how to be in society, and they won't know how to be in society if they're just locked up the whole time. That's Mm -hmm. fair. But take him to, like, a bank or a grocery store. Yeah. Yeah. Don't take them. I mean, if there's, if they're take, exhibiting good behavior, I understand giving them things to look forward to and how, you know, we talked about how, especially in children, if you're a psychopathic or sociopathic child, the only way to truly p- even potentially rehabilitate them is with reward systems. Mm-hmm. That's fine. But it just sounds like it was a total... Wee. Yes, it was like camp mm-hmm. for them. They had a way better life in prison than they did That's outside what I was of thinking. prison. Yeah, yeah like this, they had computers and video games and yeah. a warm bed and food and yes, one-on-one tutoring, like a really good education. Yeah, <laughs> All these things that so they didn't crazy. have at their own home. Mm-hmm. Oh well, yeah. I was thinking too. Like if you bring them out into society, like make them do volunteer work and shit. Yeah, like, <laughs> yes. the chicken nuggets away. <laughs> Yeah, they can go to McDonald's them. at the end of a day of park 
clean up. Yes. <laughs> you know? yes. I don't believe in total punishment. I don't no. think that it's effective. I don't think it's fair or humane. I d- I'm not a fan of it. But yeah, I, I am a fan of working hard and earning things and all those kinds of things. Like yeah. Learning to give back. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It's a very powerful rehabilitator, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been proven over and over again. that people only really get better once they're needed, once they get positive reinforcement from helping other people. That's mm-hmm. the only opportunity that most people have to change their behavior. So in 1999, the courts ruled that their original trial in 1993 hadn't been impartial, and then their sentences were again reviewed. (laughs) (laughs) The courts then ruled that the boys would be released in just six months. Wow. So both boys were released in June of 2001 at age 18 and were given completely new identities to start their life anew. Wow. The price to give someone a completely new identity ranges from 250,000 to 750,000 pounds per identity. Jesus. Again, do you know what a person could do? Like, Seriously. Give a kid a $750,000 trust fund, not a $750,000 identity. Wow. Yes. They were prohibited from contacting each other or James's family and weren't allowed anywhere near the area where they had murdered James. I guess this is enormous region in the UK. Right. Over the years, 10 people have been jailed for releasing photos or information about where the boys are now. Wow. Yes. As recent as like 2019, people are still <laughs> going to jail for like starting blogs or Facebook groups or pu- putting tweets and photos out about... Wow. Isn't that crazy? That's crazy. It just seems like this weird. It's so protected. Well, and it's just so we're protecting these kids. And again, I believe in rehabilitation, but it seems like these boys are untouchable and right. being sort of spoiled. And it's yes. really strange. Yeah. It's really hard to wrap my mind around. Well, they're like grown ass people now. Like it's, yes, you know. Yes, I think at this point you are on your own. <laughs> <sighs> So, in 2010, John Venables actually reoffended when police searched his computer and found it contained 57 images of child pornography. What was that term that you used uh, um, so much better? Child b- abuse material. Child abuse material. Thank you. So they found 57 images of child sexual abuse material. Ugh. So he was arrested and charged for possessing and distributing the images on a pedophile network. He pled guilty and was sentenced to two years in prison. What? At his new trial, it came out that John had been violating his parole in a number of ways since his release, including drinking in pubs and attending sporting events in the area he was restricted from entering, which was just five minutes from where James's mother lives. Oh, no. Yes. And she was like, I have been to the arenas he was watching these events. I have gone to the bars. My nieces frequent one of the bars. Ugh. Like. God. He was there the whole time. No. Yes. But they he didn't get rearrested for that shit. Right? So instead, check it out. <laughs> no, I don't want to know. He had also been arrested twice before for fighting while intoxicated and also for possession of drugs. Mm-mm. His parole officer also reported meeting his new girlfriend in 2005, who was just 17 years old at the time, and John was 23. Nope. And nothing happened. 
And he had a history of dating 17, 18, 19-year-old girls. Nope. His new identity was kept a secret through the trial, but it was revealed that John himself had given up his original identity to two different people. So in 2011, he was given yet another new identity and was released from prison again in 2013. No. You don't get to do that again. You just get to be John Venables. You just get to be the baby killer. Yes. You, if you can't be good. (laughs) Especially if you're giving up your own secret identity. Yes. And then also didn't go to jail for giving up your own identity. Yeah. Wow. It's so bizarre. Ugh. So then again in 2018, John was caught with over 1,000 indecent images of children on his computer and was sentenced to three years and four months in prison. No. Yes. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah. That is not enough time. No. No. And I know that they can't count him killing James as an offense because he was a minor, but... This is it's just too many offenses. Yes. As far as I can tell, Robert Thompson has not reoffended, despite the suggestion from psychiatrists that he was an undiagnosed psychopath. So if he has reoffended, nobody's caught him. Well, or if he's reoffended, would we know because he has a secret identity? That's an excellent point. That's a very good point. That he seems to be actually keeping secret. Because <sighs> he's actually a psychopath and is good at his job. Ugh. So James's parents unfortunately divorced during John and Robert's original trials and have both remarried and had more children. So in 2011, James's mother Denise and her friend Esther set up a special house in the Red Balloon Learning Center, which is a respite facility for children who are the victims of crime, hatred, or bullying. She said, quote, I want to see good things done in James's name. I have already worked with another charity that recovers bullied school children, and we achieved a great deal. Now I want to broaden out that work to help bullied children and their families and young victims of crime. But we also want to be able to reward children for good behavior, those who have made positive contributions to society in all kinds of ways. Too often the victims and simply the good kids are forgotten, and we want to help change that. And that is the... Crazy, cuckoo, bizarro, awful, tragic, mind-boggling story of the murder of baby James Bulger. (laughs) I hate that story. I know. I know. And I knew about the boys murdering the little boy. I knew that part of it. I knew the crimes. I had no idea about the aftermath and the trial and the sentencings and all the craziness that went on after the fact. That is a very winding road. Yes, I know. That's another one you could just, like, chew on all day. Seriously. that It was well-timed, though, considering all that we've been talking about, about rehabilitation, and mm-hmm. what is the answer? I mean, clearly there is no answer, because we're people, and it's complicated, and the world's very right. complicated, and the justice system is extremely complicated, but... Right. Yeah, it's really interesting to know that these boys were deeply, deeply disturbed and clearly john was sexually assaulted Mm -hmm. as a baby and that led to him participating in james's murder and then his subsequent foray into child pornography and all these different things so it's really easy to feel sympathy for him and robert 
because they had had hard lives, but also then feel like disgusted that they got so protected and so mm-hmm. taken care of after the fact. But then also, like, of course they should because they're human beings and we should try harder to take care of people so that they don't do these things. Right. Well, I think like striking that balance where right. like, our prison system doesn't rehabilitate at all. Right. Other countries really focus on rehabilitation, but Correct. where is the line? Like, right. How, how do you make sure that it's it's not a vacation? Right. Well, and I think know? that they find that prisons that have lower recidivism rates do programs that are service-based. So mm-hmm. it's not just like a cushy jail time. They mm-hmm. train dogs, service dogs, or they garden. They, you know, do things that um, make them feel needed and important. Mm-hmm. And in those cases, they're less likely to offend. So I think we have the answer. It's just our like lizard brains want us, make us want to punish people. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> that's great. People should be punished. But at the same time, if we're going to function and move forward, we do have to put things in place that get people in the nick of time so that they are less likely to offend. And I do think the line, too, is personality disorders. I do think that that's what really complicates things because I do think that there are people who are, we are not able to rehabilitate. Mm -hmm. And so then what? You know, do we have Mm -hmm. a separate system for those people? We can't because we can't ever prove that they actually do have a personality disorder. That's something that is incurable and untreatable. I guess you can treat it, but you can't cure it, right? Right. But even, like, treatment isn't that effective. So, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. What we definitely need to do is protect victims' families better. Like, yes. You know, that that part really hit me. Like, no. She should not ever have to worry about running into her baby son's murder at the pub. God, no. No. Ugh. I mean, she did say, she was like, I'm so grateful, even though the weird sentencing thing was such a roller coaster, but she did, she was like, I'm so grateful for the public for just having my back so yeah, hard. Right? When, yeah. When you feel like the system's really kind of stacking up against you. Yeah, and victimizing protecting. you further. Yeah. <sighs> Yucko. Yuck. Yeah. I have been watching The Innocence Files on Netflix, and I highly recommend it. Is that the one where they're all, like innocent <laughs> as a matter of fact it is Sadie yeah. that's such an astute a, observation uh, like they're falsely convicted or yes they, it's yeah. all false convictions it is right in line with that Patreon episode you did about the fallacy of forensic science it's mm-hmm. all about that it's basically mm-hmm. the innocence project it's some of their biggest cases and they go through and they talk about how you know like bite mark mm-hmm. evidence and witness like IDs and how inaccurate they are. Mm-hmm. It's really fascinating. It I mean, sounds like the Innocence Project probably listened to that episode on Patreon. <laughs> that's what I'm figuring. TV that's, show yes. about it. And guess what? People got out of prison after 30 years based on that episode. So there you go. I'm changing lives every day, guys. Multiple people. <laughs> no, it's so interesting. And it yeah, really... I have to watch it. Yeah, it really highlights like the problems with the criminal justice system, but yeah. then also the fixes. I don't know. It's so good. And you know that these people are now out. So there's a little bit of relief and it's not like watching Making a Murderer where you're like, he, mm-hmm. I, th- uh, is he going to get out? No, of course he's not going to get out. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Wow. 
yeah, I'll watch it. It's great. That shit. It's great. It does require breaks, but it's really good. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's so much easier to live in a world where like there's right and wrong and you know good and bad and yes, black and white. And, I know. Yeah. This is not how this shit works. No, I know. No. I think about that more and more. Oh, I think about it constantly. Actually, that just it's such a complicated time, and there's just so no answers right now. You know, it's really about trying to be the best person you can be and digging deep and thinking about what that means and getting it wrong constantly and then getting it right constantly too. Yeah. Right. We'll focus on, on the work, like making sure you're doing the work to be better and good. And yeah, not just sitting in your privilege. Right. But then at the same time, not over using it to the detriment of others you know what i mean right. no like, yes 100%. You know, having yes. these conversations and holding people accountable is one thing and then just complete cancel culture crazy mayhem is another thing you know there's yeah. just we're all guilty of it and that's okay but it's also awful mm-hmm. <laughs> there are no easy answers anywhere anywhere <sighs> ever and it sucks <laughs> i know but if there's anything we're learning in this age of Aquarius or whatever this bullshit is that we're going through. (laughs) It's that it's exactly that, you know, we just thought for so long that this is how you do it. And now we're like, Oh no, no, that doesn't make any sense at all. That only allows room for a tiny fraction of the population to succeed. And that's not good. Right. (laughs) And then that side of that sliver of the population is like, no, 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 it's great. No, I, my guns tell me that it's great. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to continue to fight for it to be that way. Right. I know. I've been thinking about that a lot. Like, God help us that the election goes the way we hope it does. But but that's just like the start of it is how it feels for me. Like, yeah. It's not, it will be a relief in a lot of ways that I don't have to worry about like basic fundamental human rights mm-hmm. being stripped as much, mm-hmm. but we have so much work to do yes. and are, it's not Democrat or Republican necessarily no. because there, I mean, there's just so much to do and I can't trust any of the politicians to do it for us. Correct. Yeah. And so how are we going to hold our slightly less dangerous leaders and when I say slightly, I mean, I think he's much less. Yeah. Right. But <laughs> normally I would say slightly right. in a normal election. Right. You know, so if assuming that, that Biden wins, like he, we still have to hold him stay accountable. engaged and mm-hmm. hold him accountable and make sure we're paying attention and yes, fighting for the things we so desperately need to function as a society. Starting with Jeff writing that fucking check, because what we're up against <laughs> yes. is yes. Yes. a nation divided by yes. billionaires. And yes. that's people in power with all the money. Don't nope. want us to be friends with each other. Nope. Guys. And so mm-hmm. if we can be like, oh, wait a minute, I don't like that. And you don't like that. But that's ultimately much less important mm-hmm. than the fact that we are all fighting and giving people way too much power and way too much money. Yep. I'm not anti-capitalist, let me be clear, but unchecked, that shit doesn't work. Yes, yeah. exactly. Got to pay your taxes, guys. You got to pay mm-hmm. your fair share, and it's not happening. It's very yep. simple. Right. Make you can have a lot of money. Like we said, yes, mm-hmm. I Give think you can back. have so much money. I personally would not. I think that's disgusting. I yeah. judge you if you have that much money. Just put it out there. <laughs> I do. Jeff Bezos. Write the fucking check, man. It's gross. 
It's gross. Yeah, it's so gross. Yes. Like, why do you need uh, that much money? Anyway. You don't. No. Nope. I'm judging a- you. <laughs> you want to play a promo? Yeah, by I'll somebody think. who... Are they billionaires? Uh, maybe. Probably if I find not out that this likely. podcast is a billionaire and I didn't know it, I'm going to be pissed. <laughs> well, it's our dear little BFF podcast, Queers for Fears. Oh, God. They're definitely billionaires. Yeah, billionaires Shit. of funny sweetness. No, they are, they are rich in intelligence, kindness, empathy, intelligence, yep. more yep. intelligence, and humor. Yep. So Abby and Ellie over at Queers for Fears would like you to listen to their promo. Here you go. Hi, I'm Abby. And I'm Ellie. And we're the Queers for Fears podcast. We're here, we're queer, and we've been best friends for over 25 years. We cover a wide range of topics, from true crime to horror films to urban legends and beyond. We take our research seriously, but each other, not so much. If you're creepy, if you're queer, if you just need more LGBTQ podcasts in your ears, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon, Queers for Fears Podcast, or on Twitter, at Queers Fears Pod. Patreon patrons get up to three bonus episodes per month, on top of our usual episodes, uploaded every Tuesday and available wherever you get your podcasts. What else, Court? Um, just a couple names, a couple quick names that oh, could God, come up. You guys, please keep the names coming. It, I, I have, I, I'm, I know I'm alone in this. I've been very stressed out lately. <laughs> <laughs> the, the names you guys keep sending us, the happy, sweet, funny names, mm-hmm. really are it's like fuel to my non-stressed out. Like yes, yes, life. it is. It's sad for the soul. It really is. Okay, let me have them. Well, there's only a couple. Loving was one of them. Adorable. Love we it. Love, love loving. <laughs> the name Jaybird Marmaduke. <laughs> Every day that you wake up, Jaybird Marmaduke is a good day. Oh, my God. <laughs> Jaybird Marmaduke at your service, just pumping <laughs> fists, chicken hands. I, uh, I mean, I know who gets so lucky. It could be a girl's name, a boy's. I mean, any name could, but that is such a good... I would love to name my daughter... Jaybird, Jaybird Marmaduke. I know. Solid name. Love it. Love it. Our dear, dear listener, TJ, Terry, Joe, is that her middle name? Terry. Anyway, shared she with us. To go by TJ. TJ shared with us that she had a friend whose name was Sharon, right? Mm-hmm. It started with her name being Sharon, and TJ made a joke that, <laughs> that it would be funny if she married someone with the last name Dick, which I think is brilliant. <laughs> Never would have thought of that. And she did, you guys. <laughs> she married, Sharon married Mr. Dick, and now her name is Sharon Dick. <laughs> G- gorgeous. That is a gorgeous story. <laughs> life is, life is good. Yes. <laughs> Oh, it's God. this proof of, of a higher power proof of that god exists that that's right tj said that god was like you know what i'm just gonna that is a good one i'm gonna throw that one right down there we're gonna make this happen zing now <laughs> oh, i did hear oh my god i was listening to creepy podcast because they're 31 days of halloween you guys amazing just listen to them they're so good if you like scary stories but um they shout out their Patreon supporters at the beginning of each episode. And it was, I think it was my, Mike Litteris. Mike Litteris was <laughs> no. just cruised right through it. I mean, you could hear a little bit of a tinge of a smile as he was saying it, but it's like, 
and his voice if you listen it's just such a good voice because yeah it has to be but <laughs> like david david johnson <laughs> elizabeth Fein- feinstein mike literis <laughs> Kudos to Mike Litteris for putting that one in there. Love a juvenile joke. (laughs) Nothing better. No. Nothing better. Speaking of Patreon supporters, do we have any to shout out this fine day? Uh, Yeah, we've got some shout outs. Yes. Are you ready for this? Yes. Want to give a big shout out to Martha. Yeah, Martha. That is another name of a president. Yep. So go rule the world, Martha. Great. President Martha. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much to Iris K. Yeah, I mean, beautiful, mm-hmm. classic, mm-hmm. gorgeous. Mm-hmm. She knows and it. Or they know her, he knows it. I'm not going right. to gender any right. irises. And thank you so much to Jenna P. Always love I a think. Jenna. That's a good, solid name. Yes. It also says Jenna JL. So maybe it's Jenna JL. Jenna Either JL. way, what could that stand for? Jenna Jubilee Lovington. <laughs> we love you. Jenna Jaybird Larmaduke. Larmaduke. <laughs> uh, you guys, thank you so much for your support. Yes. Couldn't do it without you. What do you think Kaz is doing right now? Oh, Kaz. Probably um, in a nightclub. So cool. A secret With a mask on. Well, he, he or she, um, or they live <laughs> in a world where they have secret nightclubs where that people oh. get tested before they go. So we don't have yes. to worry about that in my fantasy. God, love that idea. Hanging out with artists, designers, thinkers. Also, just like regular people go to the club because mm-hmm. Kaz is not a, not a Elite. classist. Yes. Right. Yep. Anything else, Court? Nope. I love you guys mm. so much. I'm going to go make sure a salad. Do. Hey, guess what? I think, what is this? Yeah. Next time we, rec- what, next time we put out an episode, we probably won't, yeah, we won't have it, rec- we'll record it before the election, but the next time we post an episode. Oh my God. This fucking election oh. <laughs> will be over. What if we have to, rec- what if we have to start recording this from some kind of zombie bunker? <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's in my worst anxiety moments when I really let myself like dive deep into my fears of yeah. the future. The one thing that comes up when I think about like, okay, so what worst case scenario, blah, 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 like what's important to me? Yeah. And it really does come up where like, how do I protect my podcast? <laughs> like my children and my husband and I'm going to go buy a five pound bag of rice or whatever. But like, yeah, you know, how if shit really shit goes going. down, how do mm-hmm. we continue to put out our podcast? Not like anybody's going to give two shits about listening to us. We got to get a ham radio on, but... or whatever those things are. Some kind of military <laughs> radio. Okay, guys, if radio. shit goes down, we will be on frequency 11. <laughs> Just go yeah. to frequency eleven. And yeah, we'll get all of us. will get satellite phones and call yes. each other. <laughs> yes, we're gonna jam up like actual important communication with our podcast um, distribution. But it's hey, worth it's it. worth it. Yes, yeah, it's important for my mental health. <laughs> Be like, we are on the mountain. Go to the church and follow the road. <laughs> Hello, the world. <laughs> 
exactly. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm right there with you. There are there are hundreds of us. It's great here. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> and remember. And remember. Uh, well, you can find us. Oh yeah, that whole thing. You can find us at They Will Kill on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Our website is theywillkill.com, and you can email us at theywillkill.gmail.com or however that no, works. No, podcast, don't forget the podcast oh, part, whatever. Um, hey, I want to just say that we have listeners on YouTube, which is really funny. Yes. So if you're listening from YouTube and you like us, hey, you might enjoy it more if it's not on YouTube. So go find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, all of those places. All of them. And then rate, and review, and subscribe. That's right. Thank you, AJ Bergantz, for our music. music. For our music that you made for us. Also, nobody has done a cupcake with a K Ugh. review yet. Maybe they haven't, hasn't posted, but you guys, Come seven. On we need seven reviews that the subject line is cupcake <laughs> with a K. Rich right. spelled out. Yep. Have you already reviewed us? Redo that shit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> anything else no man that's All it right. let's get out of here we love you guys we love you so much have a good night have a good night <laughs> in the zombie bunker <laughs> goodbye goodbye that was my theremin goodbye like a theremin your theremin goodbye <laughs> goodbye <laughs> no that's not a theremin <laughs> goodbye goodbye Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.